continuing with the theme of two words that change everything, uh, we're going to look today at the idea of two words that change everything when in doubt. And many of you have been here throughout the course of this series or for bits and pieces of it. And those two words that we've been looking at each time are the phrase, but God. Uh, we looked the first week at how but God can impact our circumstances and situations, uh, give us encouragement when life, when going gets tough. Uh, we looked at when life seems unfair. Uh, there are scriptural examples of how but God brought everything into perspective. Last week, we looked at the idea of how but God can impact our lives when the path is unclear. And we looked at three different settings. One is when the path is so unclear, we're not even sure there is a path. Uh, we looked at how but God can influence uh, our lives when we're on the wrong path and don't even know it. And we can we saw how but God can make a difference when we're on a good path, but God has a better path. Today I want to highlight some of the ways that uh, Scripture touches on how but God can help us when we are assailed by doubt. In preparation for this message, I found myself wondering about the origins or root causes of doubt. And please understand, I make no pretense this is by no means the final word on the subject. But as I thought about that idea, my mind quickly settled on two core concepts. And the first of those is oftentimes our doubts can be rooted in our lack of knowledge or understanding, summarized by the simple statement, I just don't know or I don't understand. And for me, when I don't know and I don't understand, doubt is a very natural place for me to end up with. And I just want to acknowledge while everyone may struggle with doubt at some time or another, some personalities and some temperaments and some seasons of life, uh, in my opinion, make us extra vulnerable to those kinds of things. And I, a few months back, the women uh, did a study. I don't remember the title of it. The book on anxiety. What? What? Anxious for nothing. They did a study on anxious for nothing, and and I I took a minute and I and I started reading that book, and he and he talked about the incredible cycle we can get into, and I think it applies with regard to doubt as well as to anxiety, and that's especially as Christ followers, um, we have doubt, and we know as Christians we may not shouldn't have doubt. So then we begin to doubt even more, and it begins this vicious cycle. And and I think sometimes that whole not knowing can lend itself to that. And I just want to say, I think doubt is a natural part of life. And so as you face those times, don't fall into that negative cycle of doubting the, that you doubt and all of that. Just say, you know what, this is, is what it is, and I'm ready to move forward. So the first core or the first root cause that I sp- thought of was, uh, I don't know or I don't understand. Then the next one was a little different of that. Is I do know or understand, but I feel weak or afraid. Oftentimes our doubts can be traced back to the fact that I do get it, I do understand, I'm just not sure I'm up to the task or I'm concerned about the, the challenges, or I'm fearful about the challenges that come with the circumstance or situation. Some of you who have been around for a long time know that way back in the days, some of you don't even know these days existed, but way back in the days before Google, um, I would often look at the dictionary. 
And so I thought, okay, these are my thoughts about doubt. What, how's doubt defined? What does the dictionary say? And it, the dictionary says doubt, define doubt as a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. And again, looking for confirmation. I thought, you know, that really does dovetail with those thoughts that I already had. And so I want to speak a little bit uh, in terms of addressing those. For the remainder of our time this morning, I'm going to look at several passages of Scripture, all of which have a but God statement. Uh, in the NIV translation, the particular variation that I chose to use, but all of them have a but God statement. Um, and I feel it, feel that they speak to these root causes that I've highlighted. So the first we're going to look at, it falls under that category of I don't know or understand or feelings of uncertainty. And uh, I'm going to look first at a passage from Jeremiah. This comes from Jeremiah chapter 10. And I'm just going to put it up there and follow along. I'm going to read it. Tell them this, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Let's just back up a little bit. We're going to go back through that. So uh, he's speaking to people who have been distracted. Uh, They have begun to lose their way and are following after false gods and doubting God. So again, Jeremiah says to them, these gods who did not make the heavens and the earth, they're going to perish from the earth and under the heavens. In other words, uh, don't put your confidence there. He says, but God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Now just, again, wrap your head around that for a moment. God, but God, made the earth by his power. It's his doing. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders... The waters in heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from its storehouses. But God. Very simple statement. But in that but God statement that Jeremiah makes there in chapter 10, verse 12, in my interpretation... He's calling the people he's addressing back to the absolute basics of their belief system. He's saying, I I know there's a lot of stuff going on and and you're being bombarded by different thoughts and and doubts and, and concerns. But understand, at the very core, it all started with God. Sometimes... When doubt begins to creep into our lives, I think many of us would benefit from that same reminder. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I just don't know what's going on. Step back, take a breath, and say, I I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But God made everything. 
Some of you know I can be a bit of a control freak. Don't say amen there because it'll hurt my feelings. All right. But as painful as it is, I've come to the harsh reality that I don't know everything and that I can't understand everything. Try as I might. So it's beneficial for me at times to just step back, like I said, take a breath, like I said, say, but wait a minute. God made everything. Now, I may have contributed to the mess I'm in, but God made everything. So I just would encourage you, when those doubtful feelings begin to make their way into your heart and mind, just think, wait, yeah, it's confusing. I just don't get it. But God made everything, which means, by default, he does get it. Another passage in Hebrews chapter 3. The author of Hebrews writes these words. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Just This isn't the but God statement, but this is a hey, Steve statement. All right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. When in doubt, go back to basics. God made everything. And get your focus back on him. Please understand, I get it. Far easier said than done. For me, a part of that process is what I read, what I listen to, and who I spend time with. That makes a huge difference in getting my focus shifted. So again, we haven't even got to the but God statement, but the author of Hebrews, as he walks us through this, suggests, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So again, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's faithful. Even when I'm doubtful, he's faithful. Verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. So we got Moses, and to the Jews, he's all that and more. And the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is even more. All right? Fix your eyes on him. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But God, or but Christ, but obviously as part of the Godhead, okay, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. In an attempt to stabilize the faith of his readers, through providing renewed understanding and attacking uncertainty, the author of Hebrews uses his but God statement to remind them that God lays the foundation of everything. Of that fact, they can be certain and we can be certain. When life doesn't make sense, 
when we are dominated by uncertainty, we can go back with certainty to the reality and the truth that God is the builder of everything. In uncertainty, it's really important to find stuff we can be certain of. And that's one. I suspect that we would all benefit from that reminder at times. Oh, yeah. I may not be sure about what's going on. I may not be sure about how it's all going to work out. But wait a minute. God is the builder of everything. I, I know some of you were not even around. But remember back in the day we did a, a vacation Bible school and it had Rick the Brick? Yes. It was a little brick puppet and somehow that God is the builder of everything. Every time I say that, I flash back to Rick the Brick, which that little puppet terrified my grandson. And not that Grandpa ever utilized that, but anyway. And I think it was Blick the Blick, because he was still learning how to speak. But, but, but what a thought to realize when, when life doesn't make sense, I can have the hope that I can step back and say, Steve, I know you want to know, I know you want to understand, I know you want to feel certain, but you can't have what you want. But what you can have is the promise of Scripture that God is the builder of everything. When we don't know and we don't understand, if we have to strip away all the layers and go back to the very basics... God made it all. And God has built and continues to build it all. If he's the architect and the construction manager and I'm just grunt labor, I don't have to understand the blueprints. I just need to do what I need to do. Do I like it that way? No. I mentioned, I think it was last week, we talked about Abram and Sarah. You know, if God came to me and said, Steve, I want you to go, and I, I'm going to do all these great things, and it's like, I want to look 50 years down the road and see what it's going to look like. No, no, you just go. You take a step, and I'll tell you if it was the right one or the wrong one. I, I don't like that. But the alternative is to continually live my life in a state of turmoil because doubt is in control. Please understand, some of you know me well enough to know I'm preaching to the preacher. Uh, but it's truth. So the other statement that I said is, I do know and understand, but I'm feeling weak or afraid. I do get it, but gosh, that mountain's high. I do understand, but wow, that valley is deep. I'm just not sure I'm up to it. What do we do with that? Well, I would suggest maybe we look to Scripture. The psalmist writes these words. Uh, what psalm am I in? Psalm 66. 
Come and hear all you who fear God and let me tell you what he's done for me. Y'all listen. I'm going to tell you a story about what God has done for me. Now friends, can I just say, sometimes I really benefit from hearing somebody else's story. You know, I've shared with you before, and the irony of me preaching about but God when doubt is real, is some of you have heard me say years ago I did it that currently some of our some of our leaders are doing a a spiritual assessment called Shape, and a part of that is a personality profile. Some of you heard me say years ago I did one of those as I was working with a consultant, and in addition to having the standard personality types. They also told you what biblical characters your temperament aligned with. I'm sitting around a table with a group of pastors, and and guess who aligned most closely with Doubting Thomas? Yeah, that's me. They also looked at fictional characters and who you aligned with. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling powerful right now here. My peers were so impressed with me. Most of them already thought I was a donkey, but now they, uh, now they had confirmation. So I, I, I get it, folks. Sometimes I benefit from hearing somebody else's story. Sometimes it irritates me because they look like they got it all figured out. But sometimes I benefit from hearing their story. You know what? Sometimes people are going to benefit from your story, too. Sometimes we get to be the psalmist says, y'all come in here. You fear God? Let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. I, I'm, Lord, Lord, help me. You're worthy of my praise. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Friends, with the simple words of his but God statement, the psalmist calls us back to the strength and security of God's presence. When doubt threatens to distract us, or overwhelm us. We can say, but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Amen. What a thought. Now, friends, please understand, we're going to talk about this for the month of March. Now, just because God heard my prayer doesn't mean, shazam, everything's better. All right? I wish it were so. These seats would be packed to overflowing. All right? I wish it were so. What is so is he hears our prayers and he is present in the midst of whatever is causing my doubt. Amen. I wish wish it made me feel better, but sometimes that has to be enough. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. You know, sometimes when you're having a conversation with somebody and they're kind of in the other room and some of us don't hear so well, you just want to know they heard you. Did you hear me? 
the psalmist says, when I do understand, when I do know what's going on, but I don't feel strong enough or I'm afraid just to know God hears me. Like, oh, okay, I'm not in this alone. It just gets better from here, folks, in my opinion. Uh, We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 2. Paul writes this. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. In other words, we're, we're okay here, folks. Make room for us. Verse 3, I did not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Hey, we're tight. Verse 4, I've spoken to you with great frankness. Uh, I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all of our, all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. All right, continuing. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. I know I read it quick. But I hope you caught what I said there in verse, or what scripture said there in verse 5. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. There were conflicts on the outside, and there were fears within. You ever been there? To me, no rest. We ain't sleeping very good at night. Man, doubt gets in your head. Some of us get to sleep, and then we wake up, and we can't get back to sleep, because as soon as we come on, it's like somebody flicks on a switch, and our mind just goes in overdrive. No rest. Harassed at every turn. How many of us have ever said, I just can't catch a break? Can't sleep. Can't catch a break. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. Then verse 6. But God. But God. I mean, can I just say this? Verse 5 has to describe one of the most uncomfortable places to be. No rest, harassed at every turn, can't catch a break, conflicts on the outside, fears within. How uncomfortable can that be? Verse 6, but God who comforts us, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Do you catch that? We go from harassed at every every turn, can't sleep, conflict all around, fears within, harassed at every turn, to 
my joy was greater than ever. Oh, Jesus, give me some of that. I suspect there are those in this room, when we say no rest, harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, some of us are saying, hallelujah, been there, done that. Don't want to go back. Three things I would point out there. The first generation is God. But God. The second generation is Titus. God sends a person to be a physical, real manifestation of his desire to comfort Paul. And then the third generation are the people who cared about Titus enough to send him so that he could in turn be a blessing to Paul when he's just getting pounded at every turn. Can I just encourage you? When you face doubt, look for God's comfort. It's amazing to me how seemingly random circumstances come out of the woodwork when I open myself up to it to overcome whatever doubt it is I'm wrestling with. Look for Titus, that second generation of comfort. It's always amazing how just randomly, coincidentally, I'll get a note in the mail or an email or a text or somebody will say something to me that's just right where I'm living. It's like it's like God says, Steve, you think I don't know? I see it. I had them write this note before you even knew you needed it. And here it is today. That's second generation. And then there's the third generation. Who is it that is working behind the scenes that enables somebody to be that second generation. Now, lest I neglect this, one quick little bunny trail here is what about you? Yes, I'm talking when you have doubt, but what about when somebody else has doubt? You can't be God for them. You can certainly point them to God. You could be Titus to them. You could be somebody who encourages and empowers Titus to then minister to someone that you may never have contact with. The people who empowered and released Titus may or may not have even known Paul or interacted with him face to face. Part of the same church, community of believers, not necessarily direct contact, but yet they contributed to that great joy. I, I just, I'm so humbled by how in those couple of short verses, sandwiching that but God statement, we go from can't catch a break to greater joy than ever. When you face doubt, think about the three generations. Another passage from 2 Corinthians. This is from chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 1. This, I mean, this is the 
the nitty-gritty. Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Uh, Paul's kind of establishing his street credibility, if you will. And, and, and he just says, this, you know what, I, I'm just going to put this out there. Uh, there's nothing to be gained. I'm going to go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the uh, caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I don't know. I don't know. But God knows. All right. Now, most scholars will say Paul is talking about himself here, and and there are a variety of speculations as to what was going on in Paul's life at this moment where he had this heavenly vision or experience or encounter. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Uh, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. I, I don't understand, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. Just there are those times when there's stuff about our spiritual journey that, that just may not make sense to us. But God knows. But God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. God understands. I don't have to understand it all. Sometimes I can't even fully explain it to me or to others or to me. But God knows. Uh, Let me back up and get my momentum here. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. I was caught up into the paradise, caught up to paradise and heard the inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. In other words, this is just a mind-blowing experience that I can't even fully describe to you. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. All right, so we've had this incredible spiritual high, and now let's let's come back to uh, everyday life. Even if I should boast, choose to boast, I would not, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I don't. I'm not sure I know what that's like, but I'm pretty sure I don't want any of that. All right? This man has had an incredibly significant spiritual lives or life, including things that are just beyond description. And then he says... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. (laughs) I'm thinking I might be a little doubtful if I've got this messenger of Satan in my flesh tormenting me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, I know some of you know more about Paul's life than others of you, and and I really don't want to get too distracted by that. But this was a man who was used by God to do amazing, miraculous 
mind-blowing stuff. And now he's telling us that in addition to all that amazing stuff, he's tormented by some thorn in the flesh. And there are countless speculations as far as what that is, but it doesn't matter today. So three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Some of you know. Some of you have got issues. We've all got issues, but we won't go there. But some of you have things that you have desperately pleaded with God. God, please fix this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Aha! But He, God, but God said, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Just back up with me. A thorn in the flesh sent by Satan to torment me. God, please take it away. God, please take it away. God, please take it away. God, look at all I could do for you if I didn't have this problem distracting me. God, look at all I've done for you. I don't deserve this. Oh, God, please take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Remember what I, where I started? That one of the core causes of doubt can be our weakness. But God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'll be honest with you, I wish it didn't say that. I'd be a lot happier if it said, my strength is made perfect in your strength. (laughs) Cool, God wants me to be strong. Huh? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Oh, hallelujah, I'm weak. That's just not American, is it? I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, I wish that made doubt go away. But for me, it doesn't. I highlighted two but God statements in in that text. The first one, God knows and understands. So I don't have to. Sometimes it's just not going to make sense. The second but God. God is always sufficient. Especially when I'm insufficient. God is always strong especially when I'm weak.
As I said, I think for many of us, doubt can be a normal part of life. Perhaps for all of us on some level. But we don't have to surrender to doubt when we don't understand. Because God always understands. And we don't have to surrender to doubt when we feel weak. Because God is always strong enough. Actually, the weaker I am, the stronger He is. Please understand, I don't want to oversimplify things because I get this is just really gut-wrenching stuff. I don't want to make us feel substandard because we wrestle with doubt. Lord knows, I have my moments. But just for a moment, if we could just step back and take our feelings out of the equation. Back to the core issues. What's the type of soil where doubt can begin to take root in our lives? I thought of three things. One's an inaccurate perception of my situation or circumstances. I just perceive things to be different than they really are. Another is an inaccurate perception of myself. And then the most important is an inaccurate perception of God. Now go back to the but God statements we looked at today. But God is the maker, the builder of everything. But God is always listening to and for my prayers. But God is always there to be my comforter, and to send other comforters. But God always knows. And but God is always sufficient, especially when I'm weak and suffering. So just maybe, but God has a role to play in adjusting our perceptions and putting doubt in its place. It can be there, but it doesn't have to be in control. Pray with me. Father, you know that I'm always self-conscious about making it sound like I'm offering simple fixes to complex issues. And God, I, I don't have an answer to doubt, to being afraid, to feeling weak. I don't have an answer to understanding complex things and experiences. But I believe that the answer to those things lies in the fact that you are the builder of everything and that you have promised to always be present doesn't mean we're not going to have to just slosh our way through tough times but to realize that you are with us in those times 
to realize that even when we're neck deep in the swamp, you still made the ground we're on. I pray that that might be something that we can find some strength and encouragement in each and every time we wrestle, each and every time we're confronted with doubts, each and every time when there's no rest and we're harassed at every turn. There's conflict around us and there's fear within us. Help us to say, but God, but God. Thank you, Father. Amen. Greg?